this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. October 15th. 1966, Oakland, California. Bobby Seale and Huey P. Newton found the Black Panther Party for self-defense. The primary purpose of the Black Panther Party for self-defense was to protect against police brutality in African-American neighborhoods in the 1960s. Today is the 54th anniversary of the founding of the Black Panther Party. Huey and Bobby met while attending Berkeley City College in Berkeley, California. They were both community college students. They both understood that police brutality was ravaging their community in Oakland. In 2011, after a trip to Africa, I transferred from Los Angeles City College, where I was an African-American studies and anthropology major to Portland State University. One of the very first classes that I signed up for was the History of the Black Panther Party with Walida Emerisha. Shout out to Walida. If you listen to this podcast, you're amazing, and that is the most amazing course that I ever took while attending Portland State University. I learned so many things. I had stereotypes, not just about what a college university course looks like, but also about who people are and what activism is. What showing up in our communities looks like. The class was not designed like a traditional class. There were almost 50 activists from across the Portland State University campus in that room with us. My mind was blown at the things that I learned. The things that I learned not only about the Black Panther Party and other activists on the campus and what was happening in the city of Portland in the Portland metro area, but also about myself. It strengthened my connection to healthcare transformation, to food access, and to public safety. I didn't realize how much until I became someone myself who was homeless, what it felt like to have the police harass me. I did not have that experience until I was living on the street. When I had taken the class at Portland State University, I had not lived through that experience of being on the street. I did not know what police brutality felt like. I didn't know what it felt like to have a cop harass me. I'm white. I couldn't relate to that part of the Black Panther Party's platform. Although I agreed, although I'd witnessed police brutality, although I've seen it happen in front of me to people that I love and care about, I'm still white. There's a lot about the Black Panther Party that we don't talk about. A lot of the things that are portrayed in the media about the Black Panther Party is about them carrying guns. The laws that were made in California by white lawmakers because they were nervous, because they were scared. What does it tell us 54 years later to still be dealing with police brutality? And it's no longer in African-American communities. It's everywhere. It's in people's homes. Breonna Taylor. It's in the car. George Floyd. It's incarceration. Justice for Soraya. It's the way we treat people who are of African descent in this country. There's a reason why the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense existed. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, which eventually dropped the for self-defense part and just became known as the Black Panther Party, had chapters in many major cities across this country. The Black Panther Party was important. The Black Panther Party was important in 1966 on October 15th when it was founded. And the Black Panther Party is still important today. There's a lot that we can learn. There was no curve in that class, but I scored off the charts with an A because I engaged so deeply with the material. I was so passionate about what I learned 
the stereotypes that have been undone, the things that have been confronted in myself about what I thought and who I thought the Black Panther Party was and what I thought that they were about. My mind was opened. My thoughts were opened. My understanding of who the Black Panther Party for self-defense was became opened. I'm Scott Clapson. Welcome to Real Good Stuff. Happy 54th anniversary to the Black Panther Party for self-defense. I was a community college student. I was feeling lost. I was feeling misunderstood. I was feeling scared. I was feeling like, what was I going to do? Much like right now. Much like right now. Much like what was happening in my life in 2011 is what's happening now. My living situation was uncertain. My educational future was uncertain, as even now I'm looking to going back to school finally after a few years off, post my father's death. But I was in community college at LA City College. I was studying African American studies. Some of you know I'm passionate about Biddy Mason. I just found out about Biddy Mason and all of these things. And I was just digging into social justice here in LA. We were talking about student homelessness and community gardens and anthropology. And I had connected with some amazing people all across the state doing statewide organizing around sustainability. And something shifted. Something shifted and there was a change to happen in my life. And I didn't understand what that change was. And that change was going to Portland State because I needed to study these things in a different environment. Now, Los Angeles is becoming more and more blatantly white supremacist in some of its attitudes. But Oregon is definitely more so. I knew this growing up there. I did not have a concept of exactly why. I just knew after the summer of 2011 and an anthropological trip to Africa, I knew that I needed to return to Oregon to reconnect with my family and finish school in Oregon. I couldn't explain why. And as I began to take these different classes, things began to open to me, the history of Oregon and the white supremacy in Oregon and the land grants to white people in Oregon of up to 880,000 acres of free land. If a white man had a a wife, he was given 440,000 acres of free land if he was single. It's a lot of free land. There's a lot of things that I learned in Oregon. I took an amazing Afro-Caribbean spirituality and resistances course. I took an amazing race and sustainability course. I took an amazing, actually a couple of amazing women's studies courses, a history of African-Americans in Oregon class, a 1970s black cinema class. So many wonderful, wonderful courses at Portland State University. The course that stands out in my head more than any other at any time ever in my life anywhere and the professor that stands out to me more than any other professor or teacher is Walida Amarisha. Walida, I love you. You're the most fabulous Leo activist I've ever met. The way that she speaks, the way that she communicates to people, the way that she brought 50 activists together in a room at Portland State University in winter quarter, my mind was blown. My whole concept of what I thought I knew about the Black Panther Party was completely transformed. I dug so deep into that material. I took the class because I wanted to learn about social movements, and I thought the Black Panther Party would be a really good social movement to study. I went to cosmetology school down on Crenshaw, There was a lot of things I had to learn about black history, a lot of things that I was taught in the media that weren't true, a lot of things that were all taught in the media isn't true. And one of those narratives is that the Black Panther Party for self-defense were just a bunch of black men walking around with guns. Now, the context is never given because they're walking around with guns to protect their community. Police, just like now, were going into their communities And harming people, they were killing people, just like today. The difference is we don't have redlining. The difference is we're not necessarily forcing black people to live in a certain area like Watts or certain communities where 
if you don't know about redlining after this, or even now, if you're listening and can Google it, you should Google redlining. You need to Google redlining. Redlining is the real estate practice of creating districts or neighborhoods that only black people could live in those certain areas. That was This was something that happened during the Jim Crow era where real estate covenants were formed, places like Pasadena and Santa Monica, people who were black could not own land. People who were black weren't even allowed in the state of Oregon. It was actually written into the state's constitution. The violence against people who were black in this country goes back generations. We keep coming to this crossroads over and over and over again. 54 years ago today, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense was formed. We're still having to take to our streets and social media and our churches and our faith communities and our synagogues and our mosques and our other places of gathering and talk about what it means to stop killing people who are black. Stop the police brutality. 54 years later, we still have to talk about this. Now, the things for me that that came up in the class, other than the standing up to police brutality, because that's not something until I was homeless on the street, that wasn't something that I, I had experienced before. I'd always had... They were weird interactions with cops because I'm queer, but never, never did I feel like they were going to brutalize me or hurt me in any way until I was unhoused on the street, until I was a homeless person on the street. That was the first time that I ever really felt like the cops really saw me as a problem, right? Because of my white skin. And even sometimes with my white skin, and being on the street, cops would still be nice to me, right? Because I'm white. There's just a different stereotype that we have about white people in this country than we have about black people because of our media. Because even now there's movies that come out with the Black Panther Party and what do they show? The only iconography of the Black Panther Party they show is a wicker chair with a man sitting in it with a spear and a gun. That's the iconography that we have of the Black Panther Party. We have a stereotype. We have a one-dimensional, out-of-context stereotype. They carried those guns to protect the members of their community against police brutality. Again, their original name for the Black Panther Party was the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. They were teaching people how to defend themselves against the cops. But as I dug deeper... And as I learned more about who these people were and why they were doing what they were doing, I began to see so many things that I related with. The first of which being that the Black Panther Party wasn't Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale. The Black Panther Party, although the narratives that we are given, the the stories that we are given about the Black Panther Party is the names of men, mostly, not all of them, because later on, Angela Davis and Asada Shakur, there were numerous women that were involved in the Black Panther Party for self-defense. But the stereotypes that were given, the narratives that were given is the stories of the men that were involved. The people who made the Black Panther Party run were actually women. The majority of the members of the Black Panther Party were what is called rank-and-file members. And the majority of those rank-and-file members of the Black Panther Party were women. Any correlation to what's happening now? Black women coming to the front of social justice and demanding that we stop killing people who are Black? It was Black women in the 1960s and 70s up until 1982 that made the Black Panther Party go. But because of the time that it happened and who founded it, and those men did great things, but the women were actually the people who made the party happen. That stood out to me. It stood out to me very, very, very strongly. 
Because so often, the people who do all of the work, the people who maintain an organization, the people who make things run are not the people who get the credit. The people who get the credit and take the credit and who who are up always in front are not the people who are always doing the work. And I love the legacy of Bobby Seale and Huey P. Newton, but there were a lot of women, Asada and Afeni and Angela and so many women in the Black Panther Party, very important women. What also stood out to me is there was a lot of people who were imprisoned. Sundiata, Mumia, Asada is still in exile in Cuba. These people, because they stood up for their rights, were persecuted. Google COINTELPRO, C-O-I-N-T-E-L-P-R-O, COINTELPRO, C-O-I-N-T-E-L-P-R-O. COINTELPRO. Google it. They used it to systematically try and dismantle the Black Panther Party and other organizations that were working for social justice in the 1960s and 70s. They systematically tried to destroy these movements for social justice. Sound familiar? They're trying to do it again. They're trying to take away the narratives again and give a different narrative and paint people as the problem, people that are speaking up as the problem, people that are speaking up against police brutality. They're being made to be the problem. They're not the problem. The white supremacy and the police brutality is the problem. And it continues 54 years later on this anniversary of the founding of the Black Panther Party. We have to stop killing black people. The other thing that stood out to me about the history of the Black Panther Party is the Black Panther Party were really passionate about healthcare. The Black Panther Party had free medical clinics. Healthcare transformation, if you know anything about me, healthcare transformation is something I'm very passionate about. Healthcare access and the fact that we leave people out of healthcare whether it's physical health or mental health, we say that there's resources, we say that there is access, and often there is not. Even with the Affordable Care Act, there is not always access. If our skin is white, and even sometimes not then, is there access? If we have money, there is access. If we live in the right neighborhood, there is access. But if we don't speak the right language or we don't live in the right neighborhood or we don't have money or our skin maybe is a different color or we come from a different cultural context or we're LGBTQ or we don't have a home, we come from a different experience, we're often given a therapist or a mental health provider or even a doctor that comes from such a place of privilege they don't understand. And it's hard to communicate with someone in a provider situation when they don't understand the very essence of who you are and the culture that you live in and who you are and the environment that you come from. It stood out to me that the Black Panther Party had free healthcare clinics for people in their communities. What also stood out to me is the Black Panther Party taught folks to read. Now, also something that doesn't always get talked about, people who were enslaved, people of African descent who were enslaved were denied the ability to read. Often if they were caught reading and it wasn't part of what they were needed for, they were punished, right? They weren't seen as human beings. They were seen as property. They were treated as property. And so there's a history of struggling with literacy because of ways that people that look like me have created laws and created systems that have oppressed people of African descent and prevented them from learning how to read Even if they're in school being labeled in certain ways or being picked on or being bullied or whatever, and then it becomes a joke. Even now I hear, you know, people making references, oh, so-and-so in the entertainment industry can't read. Why are we mocking them? Because they can't read. We have generation after generation, we have this white supremacist narrative that Black people can't read, and we're still propagating it today with celebrities and saying a certain celebrities can't read, and then laughing about it and thinking it's funny. It's not funny. It's not funny if someone can't read because they come from an intergenerational denial by people who are white of their humanity. 
illiteracy is a problem because we denied people the ability to read. It's so powerful to me that they had literacy programs with the Black Panther Party. Why aren't we talking about that? Why isn't that in the media? Why isn't that the stereotype that is portrayed in movies? Why aren't they sitting down and reading books with children? I've seen pictures of it. I posted them today on social media. But no, the pictures that were given is the picture of them with guns. The media pictures of them showing up with guns to protect the community and communicate that if you continue to brutalize our communities, we are going to fight back. Wasn't violence for violence sake. They were advocating that. But what they were saying is you continue to kill us. We will fight back. When you come into our neighborhoods and brutalize us, we will fight back. But that's not all what the Black Panther Party was about. As things got deeper and the quarter continued, it was winter quarter. So it was really cold outside. So much like this quarantine, I was spending a lot of time alone. I didn't really know people in Portland. I just transferred there. I was having a really hard time connecting with people. And so these rank and file members of the Black Panther Party and Asada and Afeni and Angela and Bobby and Huey and Sundiata and all of these people that I was learning about, they literally became my friends They became the people that were closest to me. They became the people that kept me warm on those cold winter nights when I felt like nobody else was there because I was struggling. I was paying out of state tuition and I didn't really have money for that. And all of the money that I was taking out in student loans, almost all of it was going to pay out of state tuition in my home state that I grew up in. But I was learning so much at Portland State, I didn't want to give up. And I'd already exhausted every class that I could take at a community college. And so I wanted to continue. And I felt as this quarter progressed that if these people could continue in the face of folks spreading lies about them and folks shooting at their buildings and raiding their buildings and killing them and all of these things... And they kept showing up. They kept teaching people how to read. They kept providing free medical care. They also fed people. We have our breakfast program and lunch programs at school now because of the Black Panther Party. The Black Panther Party had free breakfast programs for the children in their neighborhoods. A lot of folks remember at the beginning of this pandemic, there were schools that were still providing lunches because there were families that couldn't feed their kiddos. That has its roots in the Black Panther Party. The Black Panther Party is the reason why we feed our children in schools today. Because the Black Panther Party realized that if your body is not nourished, your mind cannot be nourished. If your body doesn't have healthy, good food inside of it, your body's not going to be able to learn. Your body's not going to be able to communicate or function at its highest level. And if you are in a situation of war, which arguably even now it is, it is a state of warfare to realize that a black person at any point could have an altercation with the cops and it can go the wrong way. Even here in Los Angeles. We want to say that, you know, there are some good ones out there, but I was doing some research the other day on a local officer and I won't even name his name, but I started looking into what his attitudes are about law enforcement and about how we treat people who are on the street and struggling in their addictions and things like that. And I began to realize that there ultimately is a classism It exists within every community. Police brutality is a real thing. When you're willing to comply and you're willing to behave in certain ways, and if you're white, it's right and it's safe. But interactions with the police in this nation for people who are black are not safe. The Black Panther Party was started on October 15th 1966 as the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. It's 54 years later, we're still fighting to address these same things. We're still fighting to address literacy. We're still fighting to address feeding people. 
we're still fighting to address mental health and healthcare access for our most vulnerable populations. We're still fighting for and demanding that law enforcement and police stop killing black people. We are still fighting for and demanding that police, sheriffs, and anyone in law enforcement stop killing people who are black. Stop advocating for it. Stop saying that so-and-so's boyfriend or whoever I'm hearing this discourse now about Breonna Taylor's boyfriend did this and this and that. So we don't shoot white people for getting out of hand. Why is it okay that we think to shoot black people? That's why the Black Panther Party was founded. But there were all these other prongs that were so important that we still don't talk about. It's why I'm so passionate about talking about them because they were so misunderstood and are still in our media portrayed as these gun-toting black men that were aggressive and mad. You killing people in my neighborhood, I'd be aggressive and mad too. I probably wouldn't carry a gun because they scare me, but I'd be aggressive and mad as well. The Black Panther Party also understood the value and power of coalition building. They understood that other people besides folks in the black community were being oppressed. In 1969, Fred Hampton, deputy chairman of the Chicago chapter of the Black Panther Party, said this. We got to face some facts, that the masses are poor, that the masses belong to what you call the lower class. And when I'm talking about the masses, I'm talking about the white masses, I'm talking about the black masses, and the brown masses, and the yellow masses too. We're going to fight racism with solidarity capitalism with socialism. This was in 1969. Fred Hampton, the deputy chairman of the Chicago chapter of the Black Panther Party, said that. In 1969, they formed the Rainbow Coalition of Revolutionary Solidarity. Does any of this sound familiar? It completely sounds familiar to me that we haven't studied our history, that those of us who are organizing now do not realize that in the 60s, these same things were happening. These same people, these same folks in different forms, in different generations were coming together in solidarity to rise up. And the same government that suppressed them is suppressing it now. Coalition building is powerful. The Black Panther Party understood that when they formed the Rainbow Coalition of Revolutionary Solidarity. The Rainbow Coalition of Revolutionary Solidarity was formed in Chicago from 1969 to 1972. There were numerous groups involved in this, and it was not just happening in Chicago. It was happening in other cities around the country where the Black Panther Party had chapters. Coalition building is powerful. Oppression is not a singular story. The Black Panther Party realized that. As someone who is unhoused and someone who is queer and someone who struggles with their mental health, I also realize that because I also am oppressed in different ways, but a lot of the same people that oppress people like me also oppress people who are black. It's a tool of white supremacy. We can call it capitalism. We can call it colonialism. We can call it imperialism, but ultimately it rests on the crux of white supremacy we have to undo it. People were coming together in the 60s to undo it. And the Black Panther Party ceased to exist in the form that it was in in 1982. That's not a coincidence. We had a Republican president at the time named Ronald Reagan, who allowed people who were LGBTQ to die in horrible numbers. Today, Nancy Reagan is uplifted saying that she cared so much about people who were dying of AIDS, which is a lie. She did not. She and her husband did not care about people who were dying of AIDS in the 80s. They let thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of gay men die and did nothing. Coalition building is powerful. The Black Panther Party for self-defense understood that. I understood that. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defense understood the power of coalition building. I understand the power of coalition building. 
I understand the power of collaboration. I understand the power of working together. Do you? This isn't a singular story. This isn't a singular fight. The same people that target people who are LGBTQ target people who are homeless. They target people who have mental health struggles. They target people who are black. They target people who are brown. They target people who are Asian. They target people who are indigenous. They target all of us because we are different, because we are a threat, because we continue to speak up. There's power in coming together across the oppression, across the divides, because if they can keep us thinking that we are so different, that we have nothing in common, that these stereotypes they continue to feed us about LGBTQ people, about the Black Panther Party, about people who are black, about people who are brown or Latino or people who are Asian, anybody, the stereotypes that we are fed through our media, through entertainment, are for a reason. It is to make you and I think that we are so different. To think that my struggle is different from your struggle. My struggle as a low-income, unhoused Italian-American who is queer struggling with his mental health is different than yours. But if you're not a property owner, and I'll argue even if you are white and a property owner, they'll, they are still not for you. They will still try and oppress you. They will still try and destroy you if you speak up, just like they did to people in the Black Panther Party, just like they have tried to do to me. We need to keep speaking up because this is going to happen again in another 54 years if we don't speak up. We have to keep speaking up. We have to keep connecting across the oppressive divides that they continue to tell us exist between us to keep us apart, to keep us from organizing with each other and connecting to each other. They don't want that. That's why the Black Panther Party for self-defense was so powerful. That's why they had to tell lies about them to lock them up and keep many of them locked up to this day or in exile. It's by design. The truth is a threat to the oppressor. The truth is a threat to the colonizer. The truth is a threat to the imperialist, capitalist, oppressive system. The truth is a threat to those in power who want to maintain the power and their wealth and their privilege, which privilege isn't a thing. It is stolen. And then we put ourselves in a place of authority with our white skin. And then we tell other people that they must behave like us to participate in society and act like we do in our culture when we're living on stolen land. Because I'm recording right now from Tongva land. This land does not belong to me. This land does not belong to the county of Los Angeles. This land belongs to the Tongva people. We have to start acknowledging more than just saying this land belongs to people, we have to start behaving like that. We have to stop building ugly, gross, disgusting buildings and gentrifying people out of their homes. It's wrong. And then say that there's a homelessness problem. There's not a homelessness problem. There's a greed problem in Los Angeles. There's a lot of really greedy people, a lot of greedy people in politics, a lot of greedy people in real estate. I've got a number of real estate agents that I don't know if they, maybe they haven't listened to my podcast. <laughs> I don't know, but they think that I'm going to like want them to be associated with me when they're gentrifying Southern California, when they're displacing people on land that doesn't belong to them in the first place. And then following me from some narcissistic Instagram where it's just pictures of you and your glamorous fake real estate life. No, sweetheart, I will not collude with that shit ever. I won't collude with your flipping houses. I won't collude with your beautifying neighborhoods. I won't collude with it anymore. I won't collude with the oppression, the systematic oppression of people, people who are black, people who are brown, people who are indigenous, people who struggle with their mental health, people who do not have homes, who have been displaced, people who have a different form of ability that's not like yours, women, the elderly, people who are sick 
and don't have enough insurance to take care of them in their severe chronic illnesses. We leave them to die and we have to stop. The Black Panthers understood it. But yet all we're given about their narrative is that they carried guns into the state capitol and they were dangerous. We have to stop. These are human lives. The Black Panther Party understood that. Fred Hampton understood that. Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale understood that. Asada and Afeni Shakur understood that. Angela Davis understood that. I can't tell you how much shit I got when I started sharing articles about Angela Davis saying that we had to work with Joe Biden, that we have to, he's the one who might actually listen. I don't think he will. I don't think they care. But Angela Davis has been doing this work way longer than I have. And call her what you want. I won't even repeat the stupid shit that people said on my social media. People who were black talking shit about this woman, calling her all sorts of names publicly, like in the comments. Mark Zuckerberg didn't flag that. (laughs) I get locked out of Facebook for worse. But ain't nobody flagged that shit talking smack about the woman who led the Black Panther Party. The folks say that she's all these things and she's a sellout. And pardon me if anybody's jealous because she became a professor and started actually working for social justice and actually working to dismantle the prison industrial complex and talk about it and write books about it. What have you done? But it disturbed me that so many people thought it was okay to talk shit about Angela Davis. I admire Angela Davis, and you can say whatever you want about her. You've not written any books. You didn't lead the Black Panther Party. You weren't a professor that was well-known that had people wanting to go to UC Santa Cruz because you were teaching social justice there. It sounds like jealousy to me. I encounter it a lot as an organizer. People knocking me down and talking shit about me because they don't like the fact that I'm speaking the truth. We got to stop doing that. Don't sit back and not do anything and then sit back and talk shit about people who are making change. Stop fucking doing it. Unacceptable. Because I guarantee you, you'll get cussed out real hard, just like those folks did for talking shit about Angela Davis. She's done more in her life than you ever could hope to for social justice. There's power in coalition building. There's power in speaking up. There's power in believing that fascism needs to be stopped. And I admire Angela Davis for coming out and saying that, for coming out and saying that what we're up against isn't just a political party. What we're up against is fascism has tried to take over this nation before. White supremacy has tried to strengthen its hold on this nation before. A nation that is built on stolen land with a form of government that was stolen from the indigenous peoples of this land and then claimed as our own. We can't continue to do it. We can't continue to treat people this way. We cannot continue the genocidal practices that the United States of America is built on. The Black Panther Party existed for a reason. From October 15th, 1966 to 1982, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. The coalition built for a reason, because there's power in connecting across the divides of oppression. They want us to think that we're different. They want us to sit around and talk shit about Angela Davis and tear people like that down. To tear the folks down that are speaking up about this. Women of color were doing it. It wasn't just men. It was, it was black women were doing it as well. Why do we do that? Why do we claim to be activists and then tear down the very people that look like us, that are fighting for us? Why do we do that? We need to stop doing it because I guarantee they're waiting. They're waiting for us to do that. They're waiting for us to tear people down, to tear each other down because that's what they do. That's what white supremacy does. It tears people down to lift up the oppressor. 
Because if the oppressor can make you think that you're crazy, if the oppressor can make you think that you're mentally ill, if the oppressor can make you think that you're worthless, if the oppressor can make you think that you don't deserve a home, if the oppressor can make you think that you don't deserve health care, if the oppressor can make you think that you don't deserve an education, if the oppressor can make you think that you don't deserve to live, the white supremacist oppressor has won. My whole life, people spoke death to me because I am queer. It impacts a person. It impacts a person after so many years of hearing that you shouldn't exist, that you don't deserve to exist because of who you are, because of the very essence of who you are, that you don't have the right to exist, not even here, but in the afterlife, that somehow... Who you are is fundamentally different than who they are. And because of who you are, you're somehow not worthy. You're not allowed. You're excluded. We need to change this. We need to change the way we treat one another across the divides of oppression. Because my oppression might not look just like yours. My oppression may be very different from yours. My life experience and my privilege, which is a word that I hate because it's not privilege. It is systematic oppression and unearned opportunities based on our skin color or our gender or where we were born or what family we were born into. It's not privilege. But when we look across that oppressive divide, And the ways that they want to make us think that we're so fundamentally different through stereotypes and othering and gaslighting, it's not the same. I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't know what it's like to be brown skin. My skin is olive. And in many circles in this country at this time, I'm considered white. But it wasn't that long ago that people like the current president didn't see folks like me as white. And I have to be aware of that. I have to be aware of that. When light-skinned family members make comments, I have to be aware of the fact that my great-grandfather grew up on the streets of Italy because of his skin, because his skin was brown, because people looked at him and his sister differently, because nobody would take them in. And why am I just learning this? At age 46, it makes so much sense now why my grandfather was so unwilling to talk about his heritage. It makes so much sense now why that wasn't a topic of discussion until I was born. And even then, it was this great mystery because he knew what it was like to live in fear because of who he was. And so he pretended that he wasn't. He just didn't talk about it. It's really disturbing to come from that. It's really disturbing to know that there are so many of us that are being oppressed in the world currently, and especially in this nation, and the ways that our rights are being taken from us, systematically dismantled, things that we fought for years for, systematically being taken from us by white supremacy. So my struggle may not look like yours. My struggle may be different. The oppression may be different. The privilege or the unearned favor may be different. Our incomes may be different. You might not be LGBTQ. You might not struggle with your mental health, but you might have something else that makes you the other, that makes you a target. It's real. And they want to make us think that we're alone and that we are not connected because when they can do that, when they can oppress us, when they can ostracize us, when they can gaslight us and make us think that there's nobody else like us, like they did to me, like the church did to me when I was a little boy growing up in Oregon. And I knew they were wrong. I knew there were other people like me and I knew that they were lying to me. We're being lied to the black Panthers knew it. And that's why to this day, the Black Panther Party is seen in our media and in the general consciousness as being a bunch of black men carrying guns to the state capitol in California, when really what they were actually doing was protecting their community and making a statement. 
against police brutality. They were actually feeding people. They were actually providing free health care. They were actually teaching people how to read. They were actually two-thirds women. They actually reached out to other people. They weren't just about black folks and the oppression that they faced. They realized that it was since the beginning of the founding of the Black Panther Party that we all are struggling, just like Fred Hampton said in 1969. The legacy of the Black Panther Party is important. It's also important to remember who they actually were, and to speak about that memory of who they were to counteract these narratives that we are given in our entertainment, in our media, by people in the entertainment industry who want us to continue to think that the Black Panther Party were just a bunch of black male thugs carrying around guns. No, they wanted the cops to stop killing people in their neighborhoods. They wanted the police to stop killing people in their neighborhoods. It no longer just happens in neighborhoods with people who are black. We no longer have redlining quite in the same way. We no longer have real estate covenants. They're on paper, but supposedly they're not being enforced in these real estate covenants. You can look at any real estate paperwork and see that it says that this is only supposed to be sold to someone of the white race. It exists. It was a real thing. It's still in practice in a lot of communities. We now call them HOAs or codes, covenants, and restrictions, CCNRs, things like that in real estate. Certain people aren't allowed in certain neighborhoods for a reason. We put up a gate or we create a little special subdivision and then we only let certain people live there. It's still happening today. But the difference is these cops are killing people on camera and they don't care and they're not being held accountable. We're leaving people to die on our streets. There's a disproportionate number of people who are LGBTQ and people who are black that are living on our streets, dying on our streets, 960 already in 2020, at least. Those are the ones we know about. In one year, 960 people that could have been brought inside. And I could do the math for you on all of the money that's been wasted on my case just alone. And I'm still without a home. I'm still without a therapist. I'm still without the help that I need. I'm still without a caseworker. The systematic oppression is real and it continues. What the Black Panther Party was fighting against still exists. I'm going to read that quote for you one more time. We got to face some facts that the masses are poor, that the masses belong to what you call the lower class. And when I talk about the masses, I'm talking about the white masses. I'm talking about the black masses and the brown masses and the yellow masses too. We're going to fight racism with solidarity, capitalism with socialism. Fred Hampton, the deputy chairman of the Chicago chapter of the Black Panther Party, 1969. The biggest thing was the women, the women who made the party go. In the time in our course The number of women in the room was greater than the number of people who identified as men. It stood out to me. It stood out to me that our professor was a woman. It stood out to me that the people that were most engaged in the class, by and large, were women. It stood out to me that more than two-thirds of the Black Panther Party were women fighting for social justice, demanding that the police stop brutalizing their communities. Women, women made the Black Panther Party go. Take a moment to think about that. Take a moment to think about the power that exists within an organization that isn't resting on the leadership, that isn't resting on the people that are in the media that are having their pictures taken, that isn't resting on the people that are naturally put to the front, which are most often in our culture and our society, men, even in communities that are not white, it's men that are put to the forefront. We have to change that too. We have to start getting out of the way not just letting women lead. Women are already leading. We're not getting out of the way to let them lead. They already are. The Black Panther Party would not have existed 
with two-thirds of their membership being women in the rank-and-file members of the party if it wasn't for women. The whole Black Panther Party existed because of women. Afeni, Asada, Angela, these powerful black women who made this party go. We have to start learning these lessons. We have to start digging deeper into history. We have to start learning. We have to start talking about these things. We have to start talking about anniversaries like this of the Black Panther Party on October 15th, 1966. We have to stop killing people who are black. We have to get people inside. We have to start being sure that everyone is fed healthy and nutritious food and has the opportunity to access it and grow it themselves. We have to be sure that we are providing health care and mental health care to everyone in our communities, including the most vulnerable. We need to be sure that we are also uplifting the narratives of the women who are in leadership. We need to allow these women to take their rightful place in front of everyone with the men who are leading. Things aren't going to change until we do that. Things aren't going to change until we who are men, and I, at this point, I'm not just, I'm speaking to anyone who's listening to this. If you are a male-identified individual, move to the side. Let women speak. Let women lead because they already are. It's the biggest thing I learned in that class was that women were leading that party all along. It was two men, wonderful, amazing men, Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale, who founded the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. But it's women that made that party go. I learned so much in that class Walida is the best professor that I've ever had. She taught me more than any other professor ever has. She opened my mind in ways like no human being ever has. There are very few professors that I'm still following their work a decade after. Walida Emerisha is one of them. I'm so grateful for her and the opportunity to learn from such a social justice icon from such a powerful leader, from such a woman that is so important. There was really no other professor besides Walida Imarisha who has impacted my life in such a way as an activist and an advocate for social justice transformation. I'm so grateful to Walida and that class and all of the amazing people who have been activated and reawakened and prompted to not just learn about the Black Panther Party for self-defense and all of the amazing people who made that organization happen from 1966 until 1982, but all of the ways that she's inspired us all to dig deeper into stereotypes, to dig deeper into history and unpack what really happened, to learn to read, to listen to lectures, to attend lectures, whether that's in person or online, to watch videos, to watch documentaries, to watch the amazing things that are online by Walida, where she talks about the history of Oregon and the free land grants to people who were white in the 1800s and the ways that we treated people who are black in the state of Oregon. This is all very relevant today. Because 54 years later, the problem still exists. The problem of police brutality is no longer just in black neighborhoods. The problem of police brutality exists everywhere in our society for people who are black, for people who are brown, for people who are unhoused, for people who are struggling with their mental health. The problem for people facing police brutality who are black still exists exists. We have to stop allowing law enforcement and police officers and sheriffs and anybody deputized by any form of government to kill people who are black. We have to stop allowing it. It was the main purpose of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense being founded on October 15th, 1966, 54 years ago. All of the other problems still exist. We still have hunger in our communities among 
low-income families and people with kiddos and children. We still have poor access to health care in a lot of low-income communities. We still have food disparities and food deserts and ways in which that we make it difficult for families and people with children and people who are elderly to get fresh, healthy food. There's still so many barriers to health care. There's still so many barriers to mental health. There's so many accessibility issues. All of these social injustices still exist. And if anything, they have become heightened. We can't continue to allow it to happen. And the burden can no longer exist on people who are black to fight alone. They did not create this oppressive system. We did. We who are white and our ancestors created this oppressive system and we continue to propagate it by allowing law enforcement to kill people who are black. We're paying for it with our tax money. We're paying to incarcerate people in record numbers. We're paying to lock people up because they don't fit in to our narrative. We're paying to lock people up largely because we have stereotypes about who they are. Who were their stereotypes about as well? The Black Panther Party for self-defense. We have to be willing to dig deeper. We have to be willing to take that time to dig deeper, not just into our history, but into our present. Because if we do not, we will continue to repeat this. We will continue to have to fight against police brutality. We will continue to have to fight for health care and mental health access. We will continue to have to fight for food and healthy food access for our families and for people who are low income. We will continue to have to fight for literacy and the ability for people to learn. These things and the denial of access to these things have historical roots in white supremacy. We can't keep looking away, just like we can't keep looking away from these people that lay on our streets. I was telling someone today in this beautiful group of 1,600 women from around the planet that got together with Dr. Sam Collins, and we're talking about worldwide social justice transformation and what that would look like and what it would look like if it was led by women. See, women are already leading 54 years ago. On this day, October 15th, 1966, Bobby Seale and Huey P. Newton founded the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense in Oakland, California. The primary purpose of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense was to protect African-American communities and the people that lived in those communities from police brutality. Are we listening yet? Dig in. Dig into people that you might not understand. Dig into learning about people that you might not understand. Stereotypes that you may not even know that you've been fed by the media. Through movies, through social media, through television, through books, through newspapers, through magazines, through radio programs. Through our music, through our entertainment. We are fed stereotypes every single day about people who are black. Not just in this country, but in all parts of the world. We need to dig deeper. We need to find out the truth to the stories. 54 years ago was not the first time people who are black spoke up. Was not the first time that they did that. The Karens of today, a hundred years ago or more, were called Miss Anne's. The white woman who would get mad because the people who were black were doing the wrong thing that she didn't agree with and she wanted to put them in their place. It's called a Miss Anne. Today we call it a Karen. We need to stop colluding. The word collusion should start with a K. We need to stop colluding. We need to stop colluding with the killing of people who are black. It needs to change. 54 years ago, they demanded it by forming an organization called the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. We need to stop ignoring. We need to stop pretending that we don't hear these cries for justice. We need to stop pretending that we do not hear these cries to stop murdering people who are black. 
We have to stop pretending that we aren't racist. I guarantee if you live in this culture in any form or fashion, regardless of the color of your skin, we are fed white supremacy every day through our movies, music, television, radio programs, our books, our magazines, our news articles, everything. We are fed white supremacy in our narratives and our stereotypes constantly. And what I knew Previous to taking the history of the Black Panther Party course and what I learned during it and since about the Black Panther Party is amazing. The things I did not know, the things I was not told, the narratives that I was not allowed to access because that was not what was presented. The Black Panther Party was something to be fearful of because they were black people carrying guns and they were mad. They had every right to be mad, and they still have every right to be mad. I guarantee you, if you murdered one of my family members, I'd be pissed the fuck off. If you murdered one of my community members and someone I cared about, I'd be pissed the fuck off. They have every right to be angry. We've been doing this for hundreds of years, and we continue to do it, and we continue to look away, and we continue to create stereotypes and narratives that cause people to be violent against people who are black and we have to stop doing it just like we have to get out of the way in social justice we have to start listening and acting and changing things because right now you and me and everyone else who contributes and pays taxes contributes to the murdering of people who are black because our taxes that we pay go into funding law enforcement And in Los Angeles County, over 600 people who are black and brown have been murdered by law enforcement since 2012. These law enforcement personnel who have killed these people who are black and brown still have not gone to trial. They are being protected. We have to stop killing people because of the color of their skin. We have to stop treating black and brown lives like they're dispensable. They are not. These are human beings They are loved, and that is why the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense came into existence 54 years ago today. Are you going to listen? If you claim that you're about social justice, and you're not listening, and you're not paying attention, and you don't understand why this is an issue and why this needs to change, you're a part of the problem. And you're not just part of the problem, you need to change. And if you're not going to change, you need to shut the fuck up right now. If you're not going to change your attitude, you need to shut up because people who are black have been fighting for this for years and what we're all getting and what we're all those of us that are white are taking is these narratives from movies and things from television where we're being given the narrative that people who are black are all violent, that people who are black are all ghetto or behave in a certain way or talk a certain way or act a certain way or whatever that is. We're given a stereotype about black people for a reason. It happened because a hundred years ago, people after reconstruction who were white wanted to continue to make black people look like they were less than human because after the civil war and reconstruction and all of these things were happening, all of this progress was being made by people who were black. And it was amazing. Black owned businesses, black wall street, all of these, all of these amazing things were happening. White people didn't want that to happen. I don't know why there's people who are white that are still standing in the way of social justice. I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm going to keep calling people who look like me into community around these issues. I'm going to keep discussing it. I'm going to keep unpacking and dismantling my own issues, my own things, my own stuff that comes up when... I'm confronted with things like I'm confronted with those first few nights of the history of the Black Panther Party course and going into that lecture hall and interacting with the other classmates and interacting with Walida and Marisha, the professor, and interacting with the texts and interacting with these amazing people that I was meeting in these texts, thinking about people who are still imprisoned. Look them up, send them a postcard, reach out to them. You can find information 
when their birthdays are and things like that. You can send them cards. You can reach out to them and let them know that they are not forgotten behind bars, that the lies that were told about them to lock them up because they stood up to our government and the violence against people who are black in our culture, in this nation, and they were put behind bars for it. Google that as well. Google who is still behind bars. You can find lists of the Black Panthers who are still incarcerated. It's important to remember this because a lot of these folks are innocent. A lot of these folks did not do anything wrong except for stand up to a white supremacist government who insisted on continuing to murder their people. We cannot continue to allow it to happen. It's more than holding a cardboard sign and saying Black Lives Matter and a hashtag. This is not a hashtag anymore. This has been happening for years. This was happening long before the internet ever even existed. I encourage you to do your own research about the Black Panther Party. I would also encourage you to look at things that are written by people who are actually members of the Black Panther Party. There's a lot of material out there, a lot of things that were actually written by folks in the party, because there's a lot of other things that you're going to find as well that propagate stereotypes. So be aware of that as you do your research, as you look for yourself to find out what you can about police brutality and people who are black. I would like to podcast more about these topics. I would like to podcast more and talk about social justice and what that looks like. And people like the members of the Black Panther Party. These people are very important in the history of our nation. They helped lay the foundations for what is happening today. They helped lay the foundations for the movements that are happening now. They help lay the foundations for our school lunch and breakfast programs for children. They help lay the foundations for health clinics for people who are low income. We need to start thinking about these stereotypes we propagate. Happy anniversary to the Black Panther Party. 54 years of an amazing legacy that changed the course of this nation. We need to start learning, not just about the history of what white people thought happened, but the actual history. We have to stop brutalizing people who are black and funding it with our taxpayer dollars and using law enforcement to do it. It's unacceptable and it needs to stop. We have to stop brutalizing people in the black community. These are human beings. They've been asking for it for generations, and we as people who are white refuse to listen, and we continue to recruit people of color to our side to make excuses for our behavior, and it needs to stop. 54 years ago today, Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale founded an organization called the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense on October 15th, 1966. Happy anniversary. All power to the people. Huey P. Newton. Thank you for listening to Real Good Stuff. I'm Scott Clapson, and have a great day. Bye-bye.